Football is around the corner and we are ramping it up over here on the Ringer NFL feed in the month of August. Every week, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you not one, but two extra point takens. That's right. Double the trouble as we predict, debate, and analyze our way through camp and the preseason every Monday and Friday. But that is not all. Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Wednesday. We'll talk about everything in the world of the NFL. And who knows? Maybe Steven will even have something nice to say about your favorite squad. Though, frankly, I wouldn't count on it. Subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow The Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Ringer NFL. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A. S-S-I-A-N dot com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we've got our guy, Eamon Brennan. Not Eamon, Eamon Brennan back on the show. And we're going to talk about conference realignment because I have just been waiting to have someone come on and try to parse through all this madness with me. This is pure chaos. It's Armageddon. The Conference of Champions is dead. Pour one out for Bill Walton. We'll talk through all that. We'll also talk about the ACC implications with Florida State, what they're trying to do, what the ACC could do. Will they add Stanford? Will they add Cal? I don't know. Um, there's just a lot going on in the world of college sports, and it's not about college basketball. It's about college football. This is primarily a college basketball show, but as you can tell, we are the casualties of all of these money decisions, and uh, we try to pick up the pieces on the back end. So we'll work through all that with Eamon Brennan. We'll also talk about Louisville basketball a little bit, spotlight, what to look forward to, what's a, what's the expectation this year for Kenny Payne. That'll be a conversation that the two of us will have, and we'll also talk about the biggest bag recruitment we've seen in college basketball over the past couple of weeks with Flory Badunga coming out of Kokomo, Indiana. Um, he's been compared to the likes of Joel Embiid, and now he's going to go play for Bill Self and Kansas. So that is going to be um, interesting to say the least. And I think the Jayhawks are going to be very excited to see this kid from Kokomo because he looks like he could be a star. He was throwing down some left-handed dunks that looked like Greg Oden. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the kid looked really good in the highlights that I watched. So we'll talk about that. Um, it's going to be a fun show. We got Eamon back. No Kyle Mann. He's in Sweden for Spotify. Kyle did not get his passport, so he's in Poughkeepsie somewhere. We hope he's okay. We'll get to all uh, all the conversations and more with Eamon Brennan. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical They're foul. Out of Technical foul. Technical foul. All right, joining us now on One Shining Podcast. This is his second time on the show, and he is filling in on this Monday for Kyle Mann, who is in Sweden right now at Spotify HQ. He is the great Eamon Brennan. Eamon, welcome back, man. Thanks for having me, man. It's great to be back. 
Yeah, just reminding the people at home, it is Eamon, not Eamon. Uh, your brain may tell you Eamon, but it is Eamon. And uh, we appreciate you coming back on the show because, you know, back when we had you on, there was kind of like the dog days of summer mentality of college basketball. We talked about a few hard-hitting topics, but nothing really too insane. But right now we're dealing with uh, conference realignment Armageddon. Um, it seems like the Pac-12 is all but done at this point. It is basically dead. We'll get into um, kind of the minutia of that whole situation. It is insane. But first and foremost, uh, Eamon, I mean, how are you dealing with the reality of uh, we lost a power conference? I mean, I feel like it hasn't even settled in in my brain yet. Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy. Like, I mean, I think my biggest filter for all of this stuff always is how does it affect college basketball? Yes. And the thing that struck me, and I wrote about this uh, July 28th, 27th, 28th, something like that, where it was kind of percolating, like, is, you know, Colorado's going to leave the league? What does this mean for the rest of the league? It was before Arizona left or anything like that. And I basically wrote, like, the Conference of Champions is dead. And what I think of when I think of the Conference of Champions is not, like, whatever marketing speak. I think of Bill Walton. I think of Thursday nights, late night basketball games with Bill Walton and Dave Pash and a weird quirky broadcast presentation on ESPN, kind of like the, the goofiest thing that ESPN does on a regular basis anymore. Right. And that kind of defining the last 10 years of the league, essentially since they, I guess almost 12 years, essentially since they picked up Colorado and Utah and went to 12 teams and became the PAC 12 and kind of were the aggressors in realignment, you know, in that period of realignment where things shifted around a little bit, um, 10, 12 years ago and the ACC changed, the big East changed, all that stuff. That was the PAC 12 then. And so we've had this like 10, 12 year period where it's been this kind of okay league with some good, you know, UCLA has been good. Sometimes most of the time, Arizona has been good. The rest of the conference has struggled. It's the only power conference to ever have a team win the regular season title in Washington in 2012 and not get an at-large bid from the NCAA tournament. That's how bad it was that year. So it has this weird up and down quirky existence as a power conference. And now there's four teams left in it. And these other teams are scattered to the wind. And and whatever you would say about the Pac-12 as a league, it was culturally coherent. And we don't have that anymore. And I don't know how the Pac-10, 4, 12, whatever it's going to be in the future is going to look. Um, but it speaks to kind of where we're going in college sports that that this weird quirky little thing it was a power conference for sure, but kind of had its own thing going on is now spread to three, four different leagues that are are much bigger and that are gobbling up everything in sight. Yeah, it's kind of wild. And I want to talk about kind of the timeline of this whole situation because we saw on August 2nd, uh, Florida State president meets with their board of trustees and he says like it, basically at some point, FSU has to seriously consider leaving the ACC. And then that kind of leads to a whole, you know, news cycle of what's going to happen with the ACC. Is the ACC going to blow up? And in the in the days after that board meeting, we see Colorado's out, uh, Utah's out, Arizona's out, Arizona State is out, and then Oregon and Washington say they're going to go to the Big Ten, leaving you know their state schools behind. Uh, when you talk about Washington State and you talk about Oregon State, which is also fascinating to me, but it really started this whole arms race again when Florida State said, "Hey, we we are seriously." considering the reality that is ahead and then the Pac-12 kind of 
it seems like they they heard the becking call. They make moves immediately. And now we're getting reports, you know, Brett McMurphy put out that, you know, the, the Pac-12 president contacted the Big 12 president or, or, you know, and basically asked if the Big 12 could take all nine of their schools except for Oregon State and Washington State, which is an, an insane idea to me as well. Extremely um, rude also. It just, just like the meanest uh, report <laughs> I've ever seen, to be quite <laughs> honest. But the, the fact that this led to this arms race and this Armageddon, and it's kind of started with the Florida State, um, you know, board of trustees having this conversation. Now all eyes are fixated on the ACC. You got four teams left in the Pac-4, um, and now the ACC via Notre Dame was discussing the idea of bringing in Stanford and Cal. Now a lot of smarter people are getting together to say that makes a lot of sense for the ACC to go by coastal. What say you in all this madness? Because now the ripple effects are here, and now we're trying to figure out what happens with these four teams in the Pac-4. Yeah, I mean, to me, it is a little sad. Like, you know, th- there was a report earlier today, and I think it's since been sort of debunked by by people with with good Big Ten sources, but that the Big Ten was considering hosting its its uh, college football championship game in Las Vegas. In it's Vegas, in, yeah, it's been in Indianapolis <laughs> for twenty years or whatever. Come on, um, and it's just like that's the kind of stuff you get when you start doing this. And it, you know, I saw a thing about the Big Twelve tournament going to Las Vegas instead of Kansas City, and anyone who's ever been to the Big Twelve tournament knows that Kansas City is the perfect place for that tournament. They love it there. They treat it like one of the biggest events of the year or the biggest event of the year. And the idea of hosting it at T-Mobile arena where like half the people there won't even know what they're watching or why it matters uh, is just sad. And that's the kind of thing that you get when you sort of start paving over all of these local rivalries, conference cultures, uh, things that have sort of sprouted up semi-organically and yes, because of money, right. But, but still semi-organically dating back a hundred, 120 years, things like the big 10, uh, things like the Pac-10, Pac-12. Um, it's not to say it can't change over time at all, but I think this is the first time that I felt realignment-wise, with the possible exception of, of the way the Big East broke up, um, or the way it looked like it was going to break up there for a while before the you know the Catholic schools roped in Butler and Creighton and and Xavier, and suddenly you had like a really cohesive Big East, new Big East type of thing, and you know what, whatever it was, 2013, 2014, but. Other than other than that league breaking up and getting pulled off by the ACC, and even then you've got a lot of East Coast schools. Really, it's everybody's kind of in the same geographic footprint when you look at it. Now, th- this is a totally different thing. This is like the, the likes of the Big Ten and the the SEC to a certain extent, although they're still a bit more regional. Really ramping up and just like we're we're got to be NFL light. We're going to be mini NFL. Um, you know, we want to put as many good games in our conference television rights as humanly possible. And if it means someone in Corvallis isn't interested in college football anymore, oh, well, hopefully we get some guy from New Jersey, New York City, Washington, D.C., wherever, who didn't attend any of these schools and doesn't care about college football. All of a sudden, it's just a big sports event that he has to pay attention to. And you can understand the business logic, but it's extremely sad for people who like college sports and who also, I think, understand that part of the allure of college sports is that it's not that. And it's not that it's like, oh, it's better or, oh, I like the product on the floor better than the NBA necessarily, anything like that. It's that it's supposed to be weird and quirky and local and regionalized. And when you get away from that, you start losing what's important about it in the first place and you just anesthetize it. 
And you make it just, it just looks almost ludicrous at some point because, you know, you mentioned it. There's a world in which that North Carolina, Duke, Wake Forest, and NC State could all be in different conferences. Yeah. And, and yeah. They're, all, <laughs> they're all within two hours of each other. I mean, some of them eight miles apart and four schools of that level could be in four different conferences. That is the world that we're leaning into at this point. And it doesn't yeah. make much sense. And then I saw uh, Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch. He interviewed Gene Smith, the AD of Ohio State, and they were talking about, you know, the Big Ten expansion, what, what, what it looks like, what they're trying to do. And, you know, Gene Smith said hoops was talked about, but it's not the driver of the Big Ten. And that goes to the point that we're all making – is that this is all football related. And our guy, Rick Patino, who has uh, always been someone that I look to when I'm trying to find answers for uh, <laughs> college expansion, he said, why don't these football teams make their own conferences and leave the basketball programs out of this? Because you brought up a great point about the Big East. The Big East blows up. We get the requiem for a bit from the Big East, you know, a great 30 for 30. We have that whole moment in time. And then the Big East now is kind of a resurgent league. It's kind of had a second life, and it's a basketball-specific league led by the national champs, UConn. Is there any world in which the pack, the four remaining pack teams could add Gonzaga, San Diego State? They, they go hunting for some of these programs, New Mexico State, New Mexico, whatever it is, to figure out what the Pac-12 looks like in the future, or the Pac-10, and they try to form a basketball conference? Is that insane to try to do that? I mean, it seems... <sighs> I mean, it, it seems difficult to imagine just because, you know, your Oregon States, your Washington States, like those are relevant college football programs. They're not particularly super relevant college basketball programs. I mean, Washington State's been pretty good, you know, in the last few years on Kyle Smith, but yeah, we like, love Kyle Smith, Moneyball. Yeah, but, but like you're not, you're not looking at those and being like, you know, they'd just be better off if football wasn't bugging their athletic department all the time anyway. It's not like a UConn thing, right? Where you're like, UConn. Man, forget football. You guys are a basketball school. Just be a basketball school. Don't worry about playing high-level D1 football. Um, I don't know if that flies for the remaining schools in the Pac-4 to the point where like adding Gonzaga, as great as that would be for basketball, does that really help? I mean, obviously, Gonzaga doesn't even play D1 football, so it doesn't really help them on that front. So it's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, I think what's really interesting is getting to the point. You, you mentioned those four schools in, in North Carolina being split up getting to the point where this starts to like branch out and normal people care. Like I live on, you know, I live just outside DC. I grew up in Iowa. I lived in Chicago in the Midwest for, for a number of years. And so like adding teams to the big 10, people are kind of like, I think kind of okay with it. Cause it's like, yeah, the big Ten's awesome. The big Ten's going to get more awesome. We're cool with that. But it's interesting to see what everybody's personal line with this stuff is to the point where they might maybe get turned off of co college sports. Like the Carolina teams, I was explaining to some family members I was uh, at the beach with in North Carolina, um, you know, a week ago that there's a chance down the line that, that Duke and Carolina are like SEC programs. And they were all, you know, one of them is an alma mater Duke and, and doesn't know what the Apple Cup is, doesn't care about the Pac-10 or the Pac-12, right? <laughs> well, the, like, the Apple Cup is great. We just had to Apple say Cup's that. The Apple Cup's amazing, but they're, they're the kind of person who's just like vaguely aware of Duke Carolina basketball yeah. in the winter, right? They're not like locked in on all this stuff. And they were astounded and borderline disgusted with that fact. Cause it's just like, that's not how it, they're the ACC. Like, well, what are you talking about? And it's just like, this is where we're going. We're like, and I think everybody's going to have their own weird little personal line for how that works. And I'd be really interested to see wh whose personal line in Corvallis at Washington state, you know, at K Stanford and Cal to the extent that Cal even cares about 
athletics anymore on campus. Like, what is everybody's line with? Like, what kind of conference do you really want to be in? Do you, if you're Stanford and Cal, you really want to be in the ACC? Does that make sense to you? Does that make you more excited about athletics? Less so. Um, I think everybody has a different answer for that, but I think there's going to more and more of people's lines are going to get brushed up against as we, as we move forward. What happens, like, it's a great question. Like, what is the final straw for some of these teams? Like, is it in the Big Ten, is it Michigan not playing Ohio State in football? Like, is that is that the level where then they eventually say, we have too many teams, that this is ridiculous, we have to play each other? Yeah, I mean, and, and figuring out schedules, you know, on a yearly basis. Like, the Big Ten, I think, has made kind of a, you know, not a super public show of talking about it. Like, oh, we're going to figure out scheduling for basketball. I think Mick Cronin has talked about it, about this a little bit. Like, um, you know, they, they have to figure out the scheduling for basketball so that it's it's not hugely punitive for UCLA and, and USC. Obviously, now there's there's two more West Coast programs in the league um, down the line. But if you're Mick Cronin, you're sitting there, you, you took the job at UCLA and you're like, wait, we're going to be playing in West Lafayette on a Wednesday night in early February. Um, this is not the UCLA that, that he thought he was getting himself into. Um, that'll be a great game, UCLA at Purdue, right? But it's not like the Big Ten. And it's not what he thought he was doing when he signed up there. And I think fans are going to have a lot of that whiplash uh, as well. So, yeah, I don't know, man. It's It's both somehow extremely fascinating and also just kind of sad and mildly depressing. Yeah, it's insane, and I can understand why Mick Cronin is worried about that because I'm worried about you know the the viewing experience of that, and also how does it affect UCLA at the top level? Also, how does it affect you know the recruiting of UCLA? Are they going to keep you know? It, it's all very you know what ifs and and conditional statements. But I want to go back to 2011 because Larry Scott was the commissioner of the Pac-12 back then, and this is one of my favorite headlines in sports. He said we could have expanded. This is September 21st, 2011, and. And in this story, Oklahoma and Texas reached out to the Pac-12 commissioner of the time, Larry Scott, and he said, we could have expanded, but the deal didn't make any sense at the end of the day for us, especially given the position that we are in. There is a very high bar. It's hard to imagine very many scenarios for our conference to expand because the bar is already so high. Um, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech were also, uh, those other two schools were also in the mix. Is this the biggest fumble of all time um, in, in conference history that the Pac-12 could have added Oklahoma and Texas, who the SEC added, and kind of took them over the line into power conference mode? And Larry Scott said, no, we're okay here with the Pac-12, and 12 years later, they're actually dead. I mean, this is the craziest thing in the world to me, Eamon. Yeah, it's it's really crazy, and it's one of those things where, you know, I think at the time, the Pac-12 had a really, really high impression of itself. And that impression probably lasted up until about three weeks ago, right? Exactly. Um, you know, it, it was it was very much like Pac-12 people look at uh, Oklahoma and Texas, and Texas is a really good school. Oklahoma's a good state school, too. None of these are bad schools, but Pac-12 people um, who are thinking like UCLA, Stanford, Cal level are sitting there being like, these schools don't fit culturally. They don't fit academically. They're not Pac-12 schools and, or Pac-10 schools. And at the time, the Pac-10 kind of had the ability to be selective because Larry Scott did come in. Um, you know, he was formerly with the, the uh, tennis tour. He came in as sort of this fresh thinker. And I remember, you know, going to media days and meeting with him, um, you know, afterwards at, at dinners and stuff and, and him sort of laying out why the, you know, the Pac-10, Pac-12 was doing what it was doing. 
And he was right there with the Big Ten in terms of thinking about this stuff proactively and being like, we have to add teams. We need to get a broadcast package that includes our own networks. And we need to start bringing in cable money. That's just the conference's money, maybe in partnership with a, with a TV cable company. And that worked. And the Pac-10, Pac-12 was in a really good position for a, you know, for a while there to where it was the disruptor. It was the conference that was looking to pick people up. It, it made the first expansion moves with Colorado and Utah. This made a lot of sense at the time. And gradually over time, it, it got sort of stayed. And I think um, it got a, an impression of itself that didn't match up with what TV networks thought of it. And there's even as recently as I want to say 2022, I think John Canzano published this the other day. Um, they had an offer from ES, the PAC 12 in 2022 had an offer from ESPN of thir- like $30 million a school. Um, and came back and said, they wanted 50, wa- right? They wanted 50. And <laughs> ESPN was like, okay, bye. We're not even going to counter you. Yeah. That's, that's not even ridiculous. a negotiation. You're like, yeah. you're so far away from what we offered that. No. Yeah. We're yeah. done. The, the, ne- the thing they should have said was like, we would, th- we were thinking more like 35 and then ESPN <laughs> was like, okay, cool. How about 33 and a half deal done? Okay, great. And it's that it's it's this totally ludicrous, completely out of body <laughs> like um, idea of what the conference had to offer a TV network. And you sort of look at where the business of TV is going, and rights fees are going to start to maybe level off or even become a little bit more, um, you know, drag a little bit relative to where they were five, ten years ago. Uh, it's not a great position to be in and you see what happened with the Pac-12 you you don't expand with big schools that are that are going to be drivers no matter what um all of a sudden your TV rights deals enough to keep people around Apple wants you to sell subscriptions and you know next thing you know you've got four schools left it's it's one of the all-time mismanaged situations they should teach a business course about it yeah it's it's fascinating it really is and it feels like we all watched it happen in real time you know what i mean it, it kind of just developed and it was a slow development and, and i mean i remember larry scott when he got hired and talking about focusing on olympic sports and how that was going to be you know something that they took pride in as the pac12 we've had bill walton you know yelling about the conference of champions for i don't know how long i mean what what can we do with bill walton um I, I that's my biggest concern when all this happened i mean is he okay and and where can is he going to go to purdue west lafayette on a wednesday night to call a ucla game because that is a big question mark uh moving forward right get ready to learn truck stops buddy <laughs> right. it's going to be that it's going to be the big 12 uh some you know arizona and big 12 games uh, you know ucla hosting indiana um Send Bill out to, you know, Stillwater, see what he makes of Stillwater, Oklahoma. Um, it's going to be, you know, if he's, if he's still doing this stuff in a couple of years and still kind of on the same schedule, I'm sure he'll just get sent to the same home arenas and maybe won't travel too far afield. But, you know, it, it would be interesting to have at least a year of him outside his complete conference of champions. This is the only thing I do for college basketball bubble. Um, and see what, you know, get, get him out there a little bit and see what he makes of some of the, uh, you know, your Iowa cities and your, Iowa City is a very nice town, but it's not Boulder, you know? So, and Bill, Bill's getting free, you know, all expenses paid trip to, to Boulder every year to go call a Colorado game. It's like his favorite place in the world, I think. So, um, he's got a big adjustment to make. I, I would be interested in watching him make that adjustment. But if, you know, if you're Bill Walton and you just watch UCLA go to the Big Ten, I can see why he might be like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. 
to to show how insane conference realignment is, the Walton family now they have two schools that are in different conferences in the same household. Like Luke Walton went to Arizona, and now they're going to be in the Big Twelve. And Bill obviously went to UCLA, and he's in the Big Ten. So that is, uh, and that's also a rivalry. I didn't we didn't even mention that. I mean, Arizona UCLA has been a, a great modern rivalry in college basketball, and they've kind of been you know zigging and zagging next to each other, fighting to get back into the conversation of who's the best West Coast program. You got good stuff going with Tommy Lloyd. You got great stuff going with Mick Cronin. Um, they've had their moments, but losing that is also a, a, another, you know, casualty in this whole thing. We, we lose Arizona UCLA. I mean, that that's also um, a terrible outcome of this whole situation. It's not quite Carolina Duke, but it is a big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, with the exception of Gonzaga, who's not in this league and doesn't play, you know, you've, you've got two um, marquee games every year, oftentimes a third in the conference championship between those two programs. They've been the the two premier programs in that league for forever, really. Um, and, you know, certainly dating back to like the early mid nineties. Um, and obviously UCLA for a long time before that. So yeah, that's not good. I mean, I, I think the, the, the insidious thing about this is, and I, I kind of wrote about this on, on my newsletter as well was, you know, you can talk yourself into it. I kind of talked myself into once Arizona went to the Big 12, I kind of thought, you know, after writing this big screed of a piece about UConn needs to stay in the Big East, it's where they're home, they belong there, don't make the same mistake twice, all this stuff. Sort of thinking, you know, if you if you had gone back to, to me being a, a kid wearing replica shorts in 2002 in the mall in Davenport, Iowa, and said, UConn, Kansas, and Arizona are all in the same conference. They're all going to play each other at least once, maybe twice a year. I could probably talk myself into that. Meanwhile, I, I still think it's a bad idea, but like the Arizona, Arizona's going to play Kansas a lot. And that's not a bad thing either. Um, so there's always reasons you can talk yourself into this, but I didn't even mention the fact, you know, in that piece, like what you lose on the other end is that UCLA is not going to play Arizona anymore. And that's as good a game probably as Arizona, Kansas is going to be once the novelty factor wears off. That's just going to be a really good conference college basketball game every year. But Arizona already has those. Yeah, right. And as you're talking about this, I'm just, you know, my brain is racking thinking about the Maui Invitational because the Maui Invitational has kind of, um, you know, you can only take one key team from each conference and then there's also like a four-year waiting period and it's, you know, it's the way that they get certain teams in. But now if a Arizona and a Kansas are both representing the same conference, now that hurts who's going to Maui. And I love seeing Tommy Lloyd, you know, drinking Mai Tais and I love seeing Bill Self sitting by the pool with his belly out. You know what I mean? If I don't get to see that in Maui, um, I, I think I might, I might lose my mind. So, I mean, I'll get to see them play in conference, but I might not get to see them play in the Maui Invitational. So I, even some of those tournaments, those, those MTEs, as we like to call them now, they're going to have to figure out some of their rules with the super conference era to make, you know, the numbers and the teams and all of it make sense too. And, and also we don't want to see conference games played in MTE. So is that another thing that we haven't even forecasted and thought about either? Because that's going to be crazy. Right. Well, and so this dovetails with another thing I wrote about with non-conference schedules a few weeks back, which is that, you know, last year, and we talked about this on the pod a couple of weeks ago, you know, last year was the highest amount of power conference, you know, non-conference games scheduled at neutral sites ever that we know of dating back to like 1997. And I guarantee it never, <laughs> it probably hasn't gone above that previous to that. Right. Um, there's just more non-conference games being played at neutral sites arenas than ever before. And so now you have these massive conferences, right? 
that they are going to take up a certain chunk of a team's allotted schedule every year, more and more every year, right? I'm sure the Big Ten would love to get 22 games on the calendar as opposed to 20. They just expanded to 20. I'm sure they'd love to get it up to 22, maybe 24 down the line. They certainly have the teams for it. Um, and so then you're talking about a very limited number of games, a limited number of events that these teams can go to. Fewer opportunities for mid-majors to convince one of these teams to schedule them because they're just it's already really difficult to convince you know, a good high major team to come play a mid major, uh, even at a neutral site, let alone, you know, home or, or away. And so the, the, the marquee stuff in November and December that the NCAA for years now, even in the way it wants teams to be evaluated, you know, every game counts the same. They got rid of the last 12 games thing for selection stuff like 10, 15 years ago. They want every game to count the same. The games in November matter. The games in December matter. Please, everyone, start watching the sport in November. We promise you it matters. It's going to be hard for that to be the case unless you're bringing conference schedules forward to November and December, which will make, you know, which in some cases is, is already happening. You get that creep further and further forward. So where you, these really interesting events like the Maui Invitational or great non-conference home and away series that, you know, the, the UNC Kansas one that we were all about the last time we talked, that stuff is more, more and more likely now than ever before to just go away. And that's sad too. Yeah, absolutely. It just feels like the whole schedule is in flux and the whole system is a little bit in flux. And now we're all, as we think about the future, it just gets murkier and murkier as we try to figure out what it's going to look like. I did want to ask you what you think the next domino is. I know that Florida State technically has to tell the ACC by Tuesday. So this this will be coming out Monday, the 14th. So the FSU needs to give a 24-hour notice to their board of trustees to meet about telling the ACC that they're going to leave the next season if they're going to leave the ACC. And of course, that that includes the grant of rights, which is quote unquote, ironclad. No one can break it. But is there a world in which like, what is the next move in all this conference realignment? Is it FSU next August telling the ACC that they're, that they're going to leave once they get the lawyers to look at this stuff for a year? Um, is it like a team like UConn, like you said, trying to go to the big 12? I know the big 12 said they're done expanding, but is there something on the horizon in the same, you know, Armageddon space conference realignment space um, that could happen, you know, in the next few days or within the next year? Yeah. I mean, I think you mentioned the two big ones. I, I think obviously the, the it's figuring out what those four packed pack four teams are going to do. Yeah. Um, right. Because, you know, there is a world in which they consolidate, get together, figure out, you know, like we kind of talked about San Diego state, Gonzaga, uh, other good, you know, mountain West programs. Um, some other, you know, like figure out something that looks like, an American athletic conference level sort of thing. I don't think that's impossible. Right. Um, you know, the, the seventh or eighth best league in the country, if you're looking at sort of strength of, of um, performance on a yearly basis, I think that'll be really interesting. Cause then you've got the mountain West, which has been a really good conference, you know, probably ser seriously disrupted by that. Um, there's a, a lot of implications there for, for sort of West Coast teams. But yeah, I think the FSU thing is massive because if FSU is like going to the SEC, then we're in, we're in full on your ACC grain of rights stuff doesn't matter. And, uh, everybody in the ACC is going to be looking for their end game. And their end game is going to look very different if you're Syracuse versus if you're Duke versus if you're Carolina. Um, all of that stuff is going to be, really interesting to watch. And I don't know 
it's the, probably one of the more challenging jobs in the next five to 10 years in, in college sports, if not the most challenging besides Charlie Baker, um, because the NCAA president is a horribly thankless job, is probably Jim Phillips with the ACC, just trying to figure out what this league is going to look like, how it's going to operate, how you keep the likes of Duke's basketball program and Clemson's football program equally happy. Um, it's going to be hard. And I think those are the, the, you know, UConn to the Big 12, whatever. I mean, UConn's got a decision to make, but I think if, FS, if FSU tips this stuff over, then, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the ACC looks like in five or 10 years. Yeah, the ACC, I mean, they're in this, you know, grant of rights deal to until 2036. Uh, that was Johnny Swafford that got that deal done for that long amount of time. And at the time, people thought it was a smart deal because it was so much money. But little did we know how much these live rights would go up um, as the years waned on. So that's why it's such a interesting situation. And FSU is basically saying they're not getting enough money to compete with the, the best programs in the country. I wanted to ask you, like, the fit of some of these. Let's say that FSU says we're going to start the domino we're going to be the bad guys or the BAG guys whatever you want to call them and they're <laughs> going to leave um, and that le- leads to the domino effect around the rest of the ACC what teams kind of fit which power conference because Jim Phillips um, as you mentioned he's a Northwestern Big Ten guy so you would assume that he has some conversations with the Big Ten maybe the Big Ten tries to take a certain group of ACC schools over with them uh, you know there's some academic institutions in the ACC that probably fits in with what the Big Ten's looking for for even if we're selling that narrative anymore I don't even know anymore but um what teams make the most sense like Clemson Florida State to the SEC seems to be the the idea the notion that everyone's going with but what about the Virginias what about North Carolina what about NC State what are those schools in your mind where would they fit in in this whole new landscape that we're building I mean I think Miami would be a good one for the SEC um culturally speaking I think Virginia knowing it as I do it fits with the Big Ten and, and maybe even the traditional Big Ten. Um, you know, there's the somewhat regional consistency with Maryland. You know, that's three hours away. Um, Virginia, I think the way people see it and the way it sees itself um, academically, but also culturally, reminds me a lot uh, of Michigan. You know, it's a really good in-state academic institution that um, has a, uh, a high opinion of itself, mostly deserved. Um, and, uh, would make a lot of sense in the big 10 Duke. I don't know. You could tell me Duke and Carolina are very interesting. I mean, I can see the big 10 being interested in both, but, um, they are kind of weird fits. And then from there, it's like Syracuse would be dying to get into some sort of form of the big East, I suppose, right. Play basketball in the big East and maybe independent in football or something like that. Pitt probably the same. Even like a Georgia, a Georgia Tech feels more like a Big 12, Big 10 than it does an SEC, right? And obviously yeah. Georgia probably wouldn't want Georgia Tech in the same way that Florida probably doesn't want Florida State. Right. And and, and that's also the other. I mean, the, the regional aspects of the ACC and the SEC is so fascinating to me because the, the SEC has been trying to get into North Carolina for as long as I've been alive. You know what I mean? That's always right. been a talking point, whether it was East Carolina, NC State, obviously UNC would be the ideal, but they're, you know, one of the cornerstones of the ACC. So it was never really a, t- a talking point, but would NC State go into the SEC? <laughs> like if the SEC comes calling to NC State, I feel like they'd be willing to jump ship pretty soon, just like Florida State. This is where my um, tunnel vision comes into play because I spend so much time focusing on college basketball and I'm sort of tangentially aware of college. Is NC State good at football? 
That's a great question. Um, for political reasons, I'll say yes. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I I think Dave Doran, I mean, he's a good football coach. He's been there for a while. I mean, NC State, North Carolina kind of had the same problem. Every time that they're rated, you know, or ranked, you know, high in the preseason, um, there is something that happens, whether it's a quote-unquote bad call or some sort of misfortune that leads to them not having a great year and finishing eight and four or whatever it may be. Um, and then they're, they're always due for the upset over a Clemson, right? That's what NC State does. They love to ruin <laughs> Florida State season or Clemson season uh, for the rest of the ACC. So, I mean, they're up there. They they ha- they have a very SEC tailgate experience, right, on the football side. So that would check and, and fit in the culture box. But from what I gathered last year during all of this conference realignment conversations, um, you know, just talking to different people um, in some of these circles, it felt like Virginia and North Carolina were more partners and allies in figuring out their future than, say, North Carolina and NC State or North Carolina and Duke, which I, I found that fascinating. That is fascinating. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense because there's not a lot of, you know, sort of next door breathing down your neck competition. Obviously, Carolina and Virginia are competing in, in lots of different ways, but relatively similar schools culturally in a lot of yeah, ways. They're kind of like the Spider-Man meme. You know what I mean? They're, they're basically yeah. the same, just in different states. Right, right. And uh, I, I think that makes sense. I think, you know, I'm looking down the list of ACC teams here. I mean, you know, geographically and s- kind of sort of culturally, Louisville would make it uh, make sense for the Big Ten. I think academically that is the, the traditional um, like knock on Louisville as a potential Big Ten team, but it hasn't, you know, it didn't stop them from getting the ACC and it hasn't, you know, no one cares or talks about that anymore. So, <laughs> right. People um, are kind of over it, right? I yeah. think Indiana fans would honestly kind of welcome that. It'd be nice to have like a, another fun local rivalry, especially like I've got some buddies from Southern Indiana who would be, who would be thrilled with that, right? Um, or at least I think they would be. Maybe they'd hate it, but I think they'd like it. Um, I think they'd like it. I think that would be fun. And Louisville is, you know, it's close enough. So people from Bloomington would make the drive down for those away games. And Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, Louisville basketball is an all-time program. I call them a true blood. They're, they're one of the, you know, one of the most special programs in college basketball, just based on their history in general, um, which, you know, I, I liked our little, you know, kind of like, piece the puzzle together there with conference realignment. But I, you mentioned Louisville and it made me think about this Louisville team because they're in such a strange spot. I saw them last year at the Maui Invitational. Uh, can we highlight Louisville and talk about them for a second? Just looking at their season um, because some news just came out. Trenton Flowers, who's a five-star prospect, uh, he reclassified, uh, signed with Louisville in the spring. He's leaving the program to go play professionally in Australia. This news just came out thanks to Jeff Borzello. Um, Kenny Payne, the first year was probably the biggest throwaway year in a first year we've seen in quite some time. And people forget coach K had a losing record in his first year. So, you know, things can change quickly, but uh, Louisville, this news comes out. It seems like there's always something going on at Louisville. What is your viewpoint of this team and this program right now? Because it seems like they're far away from what they should be in basketball. Yeah. I mean, obviously last year was like a a disaster, just a mess. I mean, right. To the point where you felt really bad. I, th- I, I would honestly, I'd love to get like a sample of like a hundred Kentucky fans and ask them <laughs> whether at some point last season, they actually started to feel bad for Louisville. Um, like it must've been very fun- funny at the beginning. I don't think they ever will. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe the Kenny Payne connection is the only thing. Uh, keeping right. Them, they they know, probably somewhat. feel bad for Kenny. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm sure there are Louisville fans just wallowing in misery, dead silent for an entire season. Probably. Um, that was probably pretty enjoyable, honestly, but 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's such a weird thing because, um, it's really hard. They're, they're brand new. They're going to be brand new this year, basically. Um, you know, Sky Clark is a great example of a player who highly touted out of high school, um, did not play well at Illinois. Lots of rumblings about personality clashes and issues with the coaching staff or other teammates or whatever the case may be. Um, lots of cryptic tweets uh, and Instagram <laughs> so posts. Many cryptic, I mean, just so many cryptic tweets. A buffet of cryptic tweets um, from, from all kinds of guys uh, in that Illinois locker room over time. And yet you're looking at him and you're thinking, hey, he's a talented kid. Like, if they can get the most out of him, that's not, that's not too bad. I feel like that's kind of all of Louisville's roster right now. And so, I mean, I take this with a relative grain of salt. I think even Bart would say this, but like Bart Torvik is, a, does a, you know, a very early projections much earlier than, than Ken Palm. And I think he is sort of willing to say like, ah, yeah, it throws up some weird stuff and whatever, but he's got Louisville projected right now, just based on their roster, likely contributors, minutes percentage, you know, the guys are going to play at 141st next year in division one, which I think if I was a Louisville fan based on how bad they were last year, I would be a little torn by because that's clearly an improvement, right? If they win 10 or 12 games, it's a big improvement over last year when they were one of the worst division one teams period. Um, Not to mention from a high major conference, not to mention from a program that's this good traditionally, like Cal is a different story, right? When Cal's bad, Cal's bad. This, this should never happen at Louisville. Um, so do you, are you happy with the progress if you get to that point where you're like the hundredth best team in the country, you're not going to the tournament, you may or may not have a winning record, but you're doing some interesting things and you're progressing and you're moving along or is it for Louisville fans? And, and I'm, I would love to find out and hear from people. Do you need to just be good next year? And I can understand that argument as well because it's 2023. You can get you can get guys in the portal really quickly. You can, you can rebuild your roster in a matter of a month or two. And so it isn't just, Hey, let's get better. Let's improve. We're building for year three, the kind of the way it was 10, 15 years ago. Like, let's get old. It's, we need to win now. I'm not, I'm not sure which side of that I would fall on. I'd be interested to hear what you think. And I'd definitely be interested to hear what Louisville fans think about what their expectations are coming up and, and kind of what the level is that they expect to hit before that's, it's really like Kenny's got to go. I think Louisville fans midway through last season were willing to move on. I think they were over the experiment. You know what yeah. I mean? That, that's <laughs> I can how, understand why. It, it, exactly. I mean, I saw it. I, you know, we were at the Maui Invitational last year, and we watch all the practices of all these teams. And, you know, you watch guys run through certain, you know, scouting and, and running through plays and things like that. Usually walkthroughs is what happens before three days back-to-back of games, right? This is on Sunday before games start on Monday. And Louisville comes in, and they're running suicides. They're, they're running sprints, you know what I mean? And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, just, you know, the, the naked eye, you know, you have three games in the next three days. Maybe we shouldn't be running sprints right now. And I think that Louisville fans, uh, you know, they were pulling their hair out, um, you know, at the tournament and throughout last year. So I think that if you, I mean, this is a make it or break it year, in my opinion, for Kenny Payne. I think that they have to, if they win 14, 15 games, yes, that would be an improvement. But I, I think that Louisville fans expect to put a product on the court that is competitive and doesn't embarrass them. And if they have a similar situation happen again, and obviously they just lost a talented player, 
mm-hmm. it is not going to end well um, in Louisville, and and rightfully so because I mean you can do the remember when as long as you want. I feel like DJ Wagner's recruitment was the big one too, right? I mean there was so much optimism about DJ Wagner potentially going to play at Louisville. Um, you know Kenny Payne brings on Milt Wagner, who obviously played at Louisville, and brings him onto the staff, and you know Louisville fans get excited about DJ Wagner, who at the time was the number one player in the class, and now he ends up you know he'll be a freshman this year at Kentucky. So um, I just think those th- there's a lot that's kind of been building up with Kenny Payne. But Kenny Payne is also, I mean, he was I mean, he always has been one of the nicest guys. You know what I mean? He, he has a great kind of laid back demeanor about how he goes about things. And he's a pretty likable person. So like you mentioned, Kentucky fans probably love him. And I, I just think Louisville fans are going to have a very short fuse with this whole situation. And I don't really blame them. And I, I don't really know... I, I don't know where they finish in the ACC, but I, I don't have too much optimism. I didn't see much at the end of last year that gives me hope, but I also would love to be proven wrong because Kenny Payne seems like a great guy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of those things where if it was an all-time Louisville legend or a former Louisville, a beloved former Louisville assistant, something like that, um, similar to like Georgetown. Georgetown is is its own unique situation, but they gave Big Pat about as much lease as you could possibly give a man who is not winning very many basketball games. Right. And it's because he's the greatest player in program history. He was stubborn. He didn't want to step away and they didn't want to force him to, I think. And it's all pretty understandable, right? Like it's not ideal and fans get upset about it. But at the end of the day, maybe it's a year too long, two years too long, but, but people are willing to go their separate ways. Um, you know, at, at Georgetown fans will still love Patrick Ewing forever, even though he, had a, a bunch of really bad seasons and, and kind of cratered the program. Uh, I don't think, yeah, you're right. Like that patience isn't going to exist from Louisville fans for, for Kenny Payne and probably shouldn't because Louisville is one of those places that the resources for the basketball program and the athletics program are extremely high. Their arena is a huge revenue driver when they're good. Um, you know, you go to that place and it is a pro gym. It's massive and they fill it up for basketball games. Yep. You know, you go, co- you go watch a, a Louisville, Virginia game and go cover it. It's a whole thing. That's the city's pro team and it's a big deal. And so when they're not good, they're, they lose a lot of money as well. The athletics department leaves a lot of money on the table and there's no reason why a Louisville team with their resources, fan interest, NIL possibilities shouldn't be good immediately. Um, so I guess I've, I've kind of, you've talked to me and I've kind of talked myself into, yeah, they need to be good like pretty quickly here or it's going to be, it's going to be bad. And Kenny Payne won the 1986 national championship at Louisville. So, I mean, he's going to be fine. They're still going to love him. It just might be, you know, time to move on to a new head coach. And I I don't want to even put the blame on Kenny Payne. I think when Chris Mack danced after beating Kentucky, you know what I mean? And did that little promo video, that that little wrestling promo video. That's when all this kind of started turning the wrong way for Louisville. Um, Obviously, Rick Pitino had his opinions on how he was treated on the way out. So Louisville basketball has just kind of had a shadow um, over it, just, you know, based on the FBI spreadsheet, that whole situation, you know, with Brian Bowen, we all know that story, but it feels like, oh, we're going on five years, maybe six years of not being able to have Louisville basketball just be about the basketball of Louisville yeah. basketball, which is, um, you know, that's what Louisville was about. It was about three-star, four-star, tough-nosed dudes that you didn't want to go play, and then them playing, you know, great team basketball, pressing, playing with a certain pace, you know what I mean, and just winning big games. And uh, obviously won a championship 10 years ago. Yeah. First of all, I have to say, I can't believe I forgot Kenny Payne played on the 86 team. I'm 
dumb. Number two, Patino is like, it's really easy to get spoiled with Patino. Obviously, he had like he did some self-destructive things with his career at Louisville. Of course. Yes. And and probably for a lot of Louisville fans at some point, they were just like, oh my God, Rick, like what are you doing? Like it's just exactly <laughs> Rick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, can you please stop? It's like watching Tony Soprano. Yes. Like um, my wife and I are rewatching the Sopranos, and you're just like, if you were like 10% less self-destructive, you'd be you'd you'd run the you'd country. Be good. You'd be <laughs> like, fine. Um, but he is very much uh a genius. Like, I think he's a basketball genius. You watch his defenses and the way they play. If you, if you get the chance to watch a Rick Pitino coach team courtside um, and watch how he coaches them second by second defensively, he springs traps on people and does weird little zone switch things that like no one else does and no one else has done. And if he didn't have the tendencies that he has um, to completely torpedo his career or decide to go to the pros when he's got it made at Kentucky or, you know, whatever the case may be, like, he, I think, would have stood with Coach K as the greatest college basketball coach or one of the two or three greatest basketball coaches of, of all time. And yep. he, so get, having him for an extended period of time running your program, and you don't even need to recruit that well. The teams are really good every year. You bring these guys in that you've never heard of, or they're like the 80th best player in the country, and it ends up being Russ Smith. And like, you know, you're just good every year and in a super satisfying, extremely hyper-confident way. And when that goes away, um, I, you know, I think Louisville fans, you don't need to be as bad as they were last year to start getting impatient. Um, but, you know, when you win four games, it's like you better win 20 the following season or people are going to throw up their hands and, and get ready to move on immediately. Yeah, and I don't blame the Louisville fans for feeling that way. I just don't know where they go if they're moving forward because we don't have this whole young crop of great coaches that everyone's trying, chomping at the bit to go higher. I mean, maybe Dusty May is one of those guys, but I don't see Dusty May being a Louisville fit. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, maybe Wes Miller, but Wes Miller still has stuff to prove at Cincinnati. So, And he's also right there you know, across the river. I think there's a river there uh, between Louisville and Cincinnati. So um, I, I just don't know where they go, and you can't really jump jump back into the, you know, let's go get the Xavier coach. Cause I I've heard people mention Sean Miller, you know, going to somewhere like Louisville. I just don't see that happening. And I think Sean Miller is probably happy at Xavier is probably the right level for him to be at right now. Um, so I just don't think Louisville really has the next chess move right now for them. So maybe they do try to wait it out with Kenny Payne, but I think sooner rather than later is the right move. I wanted to ask you about this recruitment. Flory Badunga. Uh, is the last name. He's from Kokomo. And I thought this was a fascinating recruitment. And, you know, I kind of saw this at a bird's eye view. I didn't get into the weeds of the recruitment, but it felt like every two weeks there was an update of a new bag school that was going to get this kid, whether it was Duke and then it was Auburn and then it ended up being Kansas. Can you just talk about Bill Self? And like Bill Self is pretty much solidified the fact that he is top dog in college basketball and uh, especially on the recruiting trail. How, how insane is that to see from the outside looking in? Because, you know, just a couple of years ago when Scott Drew won that championship in 2021, people were saying this was the downside of the Bill Self era. And it feels like he's back and better than ever, especially on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I think, you know, look, who's retired in the last couple of years? Like Coach K and Roy Williams, who are two probably the two guys most capable of of you know if you were doing a a cold call interview process as a five star recruit and you sent these three guys in, um, those are the two guys most capable of going toe to toe and like uh, with Bill Self in a charm off. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's not too many guys out there now like that. 
classic ball coaches who yep. are just going to go old in boys. ball coaches. Come on, man. You know, like <laughs> let's get on down here, Lawrence. And let, you know, like let's do something I, special together. Yeah, Let's do something special. Tell together. your mom to call Full, me big old ring on the finger, slapping <laughs> you on the back. Like, right. um, and he is that guy. He's an incredibly good coach. Who's also extremely charismatic. He also coaches at Kansas, which is a place where helps. people, a want to go play independent of what kind of NIL package they're putting together. And I think B where uh, fans and boosters are highly motivated to ensure that they remain competitive in NIL, which is the very political way of putting it. Right. Um, so he is now in a position where the sort of stuff that you might have to do to prize a guy like this away from Duke and Carolina in the last 10 years is it's not as difficult as it once was. Not only because you can more openly get the player on a financial package, you know, for their name, image, and likeness, that is agreeable. But those guys, those elite top level coaches that you might compete, you know, with the possible exception of John Calipari, um, are just not there anymore. And so, yeah, he's the, he's the top guy. He's coaching at a place that just won a national title two years ago that gets guys to the league that has, you know, Joel Embiid as uh, the marquee alum at this point. Right. Um, and it, there's just, everything's pointing to the direction of like, he's the guy who can get Hunter Dickinson, the, the best transfer ever to actually up and leave Michigan and come to Kansas. Um, it's a whole new thing with him. He's operating on an extremely high level and the guys who might've been able to go toe to toe with him, like I said, with the possible exception of Cal just aren't in the sport anymore. Yeah. And, uh, speaking of Cal, one last thing I wanted to bring up, I, I thought this was fascinating and you pointed this out on Twitter, but Kentucky freshman, uh, projected number one pick in the 2024 draft, Justin Edwards, he received a brand new Ford F-150 Raptor as a part of an NIL deal. Uh, it was with Paul Miller Ford in Lexington, M MSRP $76,775. This was a tweet that was put out. And, uh, this is something that if we found out five years ago, this kid would never play college basketball. So, I, I just thought this was like a, a fascinating examination of where we are in the NIL era. Did you see this with Justin Edwards and just your general thoughts? Because it is wild. It's like now everything's on front street, but before it was like, let's use these car dealerships and get these kids some money and things like that. But now it's all NIL deals. Yeah. It's so funny for, for the longest time it was all hush hush. Like how do these <laughs> right. guys at, at your large state university, like I went to Indiana and you'd see like Bracey Wright, and DJ White driving around in super nice cars. And you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, you know, I'm not trying to count anybody's pockets, but I don't know how, like, if Bracey Wright has the family income to, to drive around, like, you know, uh, an $80,000 car with, with massive um, rims and, like, you know, a custom job and stuff. And it's like, the, everyone just kind of laughed at it and you moved on and you understood that's how the sausage was made. Now it's just like, they've got a huge banner. If you actually find the tweet of Justin Edwards standing in front of his really awesome new truck. Yeah. It's a great looking uh, truck. Yeah. Great truck. It, you know, in the background, it's a picture of coach Cal and like someone else, maybe him or some other Kentucky player. And it's like, you know, a sponsorship deal with, with Kentucky basketball. And it's just like, this is just where we are now. This stuff used to be, I can imagine 10 years ago, if it was proven that a Kentucky freshman got a $75,000 car from a local dealership, you would have an utter meltdown. Um, like Calipari would be under scrutiny for days. And, weeks. and if you broke that story as a reporter, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, you're going to be on outside the lines. You know what I mean? Like Massive. you're shooting straight to the top. You're, you're the first news peg of the day for everybody. 
Massive. Yeah. And it's just, no one cares. <laughs> it's just totally normal now. And that happened in a very short period of time. And you just look back and think about all these, those years and decades of people being really, really concerned about this stuff. And now it's just happening openly and everyone's kind of like, yeah, you got a truck, whatever. Yeah, whatever. That's where we're at in the world of college basketball. Uh, Eamon Brennan, thanks so much for coming on the show, man, and talking through all this stuff, all the major topics, conference realignment, and just the world that we live in in NIL. Um, I hope that you're able to enjoy some of the downtime before college basketball starts to ramp up again. Appreciate you coming on the show. Anything else, man, from you before we get out of here? No, just uh, encourage folks as ever to check out the newsletter. Of course. Uh, Emanbrennan.com. It's Buzzer by Eamon Brennan. And we're having some fun over there. There's a massive mailbag I did last week that's like 5,000 words long with lots to dig into. So check it out. Yeah, you got some great questions over there about the uh, the the program, the best program to never win a national championship. A lot of debate over is it Gonzaga, is it Purdue? I love these type of you know outstanding questions in the world of college basketball. It's what keeps us connected to the game. So yeah, go check out uh, all that Eamon's doing. Uh, the Twitter is uh, Eamon Brennan as well. Um, go find that. Go follow him. And uh, always appreciate you joining the show and always enjoy your stuff, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Tate. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Thanks to Eamon for coming on and uh, breaking down all this conference realignment. I'm doing my best to, to keep my head, uh, you know, out of the sand to pay attention, but I just feel like it's inevitably going to lead to two super conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC and whatever they end up being called. But uh, I'm doing my best to, to try to stay in there. I feel for Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, and California, those four schools deserve better. Um, I wish that I could help if any of those, you know, alums want to come on this show and vent about how ridiculous this is. I'm down to listen. I'm also down for any Larry Scott conversations because Larry Scott, I feel like there should be a movie with Larry David playing Larry Scott and him just laughing about how awesome his conference is as it burns behind him for 12 years. Um, and obviously I know Larry got out of there before all this happened, but, um, what a time. 2011, it could have been the time that, uh, you know, the Pac-12 added Texas and Oklahoma. But Larry Scott said no, and the rest is history. Um, so shout out to Larry Scott. Shout out to the Pac-12. What once was uh, the Conference of Champions. I hope that those four schools can figure it out. We have a little teaser. We have a, a, someone very close to and, and very involved in the process that's going to join us on the Wednesday show to kind of talk about what is happening firsthand in the world of conference realignment. So I'm excited for that. Um, so let's get to some shout outs 
quickly before we get out of here. I want to shout out the 2023 Asheville Championship. This is the third year of the event. In case you missed it, um, I recorded the last show, which was last Monday, with Kyle Mann live from Asheville. Um, I went from Puerto Vallarta on a bachelor party to Los Angeles to Asheville, North Carolina, and that was probably the only person in history to ever make that path. It made no sense, but we got there. We shot, we shot some cool stuff, some cool promo stuff for the Asheville Championship. The four teams that are in that event this year, we got Maryland and Davidson, Clemson and UAB, and uh, those games will be happening on November 10th. Again, this is the third year of the event. I'm very excited about being a part of the event. I am the ambassador of the Asheville Championship. This is year three, so um, shout out to everybody involved in that process. Shout out to my guy, Michael Goldstein, who came with me from uh, my production company, Figures, to shoot some of the stuff. Shout out to Kemper Lesnick for hiring us to do this. Um, it was great putting it together, and I'm excited to hopefully have all four of those coaches from those four programs come on One Shining Podcast, talk about their teams this year, and uh, we'll get you know all the Asheville Championship exclusives you could ever imagine and ever need in your life. And if you've never been to Asheville, I just have to say this, it is one of the best cities in all of the U.S. of A., and you should go check it out in the mountains of North Carolina. A lot of culture, um, a lot of great food, a lot of great people, and uh, just a great experience all around. And now you're going to have some great basketball because, like I said, all four of those programs, year two of Matt McKillop at Davidson, Bob McKillop, Coach Stephen Curry, in case you missed it, Davidson. Uh, maybe we get Stephen Curry to go there. Who knows? But uh, it'll be a great tournament. I'm very excited about it. Excited to be back. Again, shout out to Asheville. I also want to shout out to Maui. Um, if you have not seen the uh, wildfires in Lahaina, at the, you know it is devastating stuff. It's hard for me even to watch, having gone to Maui and worked the Maui Invitational for four years myself, and this would have been going on a fifth year. So um, we're not sure what's going to happen with that, but all we can do is send love, thoughts, and prayers, and and make donations to the right people—not people looking for Ro Rolexes in the rubble, but actual real um, places that are going to share um, those, those donations with the locals in Lahaina to help that area. Um, it, it's a beautiful area. Um, it looks like the Lahaina Civic Center where the games are actually played. It looked like it was, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's unscathed, but it looked like it was still standing. So hopefully there will be some good news for the actual facility because that place is a special place. There's been some amazing basketball moments and memories that have happened in that gym. I saw Anthony Edwards, number one pick there play in that gym in 2019. The first time I ever watched him play basketball, it blew me away to see him in person. Uh, he was wearing, you know, number five back then. He'll be wearing number five again. He's wearing number 10 right now for Team USA, and he looks great. Shout out to Team USA, by the way. Um, if you've been watching those games over the weekend, uh, had a little bit of a test against Spain on Sunday, but it was a good game. Uh, they kind of uh, showed a little bit of uh, toughness that we haven't seen yet. Jalen Brunson played great in this game as well. I like him being the leader, the point guard of this team. I think Anthony Edwards has a lot of upside. You can see him kind of finding his footing with this group in FIBA of basketball and they're just a fun very likable group it's one of the most likable young USA teams we've had in a long time so if you're not watching USA basketball they played Germany in an exhibition game on August 20th I think Germany's the second best team I've seen so far I would love to see Franz Wagner go up against Paolo Bancaro. Um, that'll be good for all the Magic fans out there, like our guy Saruti. So I'm sure he'll be locked into that game. But that that's the next game I would circle if you're keeping up with USA USA basketball. Uh, August 20th, go check out that one. It's going to be a good one. Uh, there's not too much else going on out in the world. Uh, no more you know major shout-outs. I did watch Lucas Glover win the golf tournament this weekend in the playoff. 
That was a fun one in Memphis. I'm sure our guy Chris Vernon enjoyed that match. Um, so shout out to Memphis. That is a great golf event um, with St. Jude's involved. I just think it's really well done stuff. So I enjoyed watching that. But um, in general, thanks to Eamon for coming on the show. Thanks to our guy Jack here who is sitting in, uh, who is helping us produce this product because Kyle is still on vacation. So shout out to Kyle. He is in Poughkeepsie right now. And thank God we have Jack here to make this all possible because if we didn't, we wouldn't even be having a show. Um, the plan is to be back on Thursday. We'll have a brand new episode. We'll have a special guest. I don't want to spoil it, but I'm excited about having him on the show. Have a lot of respect for the way that he runs a program um, in this new landscape and in the old landscape of college basketball. So excited for that. This has been another edition of One Shining Podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in during the offseason, and we will see you on Thursday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.